from the ESPN studios at Pier 17 in the Seaport District of New York City, this is Greeny with Mike Greenberg on ESPN Radio. You can also listen and watch the show on the ESPN app. Hour number two on this Thursday morning. Dan Grassa in for Greeny. Where else? 98.7 ESPN. You know what? We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career you'll love with flexibility, great pay and benefits, and one of the country's top workplaces? Well, come join their growing team. Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. We're taking it for another 60 minutes. Then we'll turn the reins over to Bart and Han. Han and Bart. That comes your way at noon. K-Show follows them. At Dan Grassa, G-R-A-C-A is where you can get me on Twitter. A lot of basketball in that first hour. Knicks off of two straight wins. Back-to-back. Utah, Denver. Normally places that aren't associated with success when you're talking about the Knickerbockers. But you know what? They got the job done. So you move on to Golden State and you take your chances against the champs tomorrow. A champs team that, my gosh, are they struggling on the road. I mean, you already got Steve Kerr basically, you know, uh, playing taps on his team. Did you see that interview we did the other day where he was basically already laying the foundation that, you know what, maybe this run is going to be over soon. And I get it. You know, you're not going to win forever. But, you know, you still got a whole season to play here. Maybe they could turn things around. Who knows? But Barkley calling out Clay Thompson that he's never going to be the same player again. And Clay having to respond to Barkley that because of all the injuries, he's never going to be the same You know, Kerr talking, you know, waxing poetic and being nostalgic about how, you know, this run was great and this that might be the last championship and this group may break apart, at least the core of the team. So, you know what? If you're the Knicks, take advantage of the opportunity. They're scuffling a little bit. Go get them. Go beat them tomorrow in their building in all those expensive courtside seats that they have out there in San Francisco. Um, Nets got their own set of problems, as we know. And there's a report from Woj that maybe, just maybe, Kyrie Irving could rejoin the Nets as early as Sunday in Brooklyn as he continues to complete that, you know, six-step program that Joe Sy and company laid out for him so he can express his contrition and he's proved that he's remorseful and, you know, was able to rejoin this team. And, you know, look, what is that going to do? Seriously. Like, you really think that once Kyrie comes back that all is going to be right with the world in Nets land? Really? Uh, I mean... They gave up 153 points a couple of nights ago to Sacramento. Sacramento. They stink. And now tonight they got to go take on Dame and the Portland Trailblazers, whatever. How about that Kevin Durant Bleacher Report article? Do you guys like that one? You know, another example of how this is team togetherness. Here's Durant to Bleacher Report to Chris Haynes saying, quote, look at our starting lineup. Edmund Sumner, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, Nick Claxton, and me. It's not disrespect, but what are you expecting from that group? You expect us to win because I'm out there? So if you're watching from that lens, you're expecting us to play well because number seven is out there? <laughs> no. <laughs> I like how he said, you know, no disrespect. It's like the classic, no offense. Right when you say something, well, you know, no offense, but, and then it's always usually something offensive. No disrespect, but if I can be disrespectful for a second, the four other guys I'm playing with stink. Although, at least let me point out that last year when Durant was trying to excuse away their premature exit from the playoffs last year, one of the things that he threw out there was the fact that, oh, they're missing Joe Harris. A great outside marksman like Joe Harris was injured and they didn't have his services to be able to stretch the floor and whatnot. So missing him was crucial and that's why they bowed out as meekly as they did against the Boston Celtics. Well, I mean, you can't have it both ways. 
He can't. You can't miss Joe Harris last year, and now you sit there and say Joe Harris is a bum, and he's in the starting lineup, and that's why we're not winning, because I need other players that are as good as me to be able to win. All right, so there's that. And then, and then, our buddy from ESPN, Kendrick Perkins, who, disclaimer, before you hear this, disclaimer, is a buddy of KD. They played together in Oklahoma City. Weren't they on the cover of Sports Illustrated once upon a time, that Oklahoma City Thunder team, right? Like KD, Westbrook, Abaca, Perkins. They were like all, I, I remember all five of them on the cover. So they're boys, they're buddies. Times are tough in Brooklyn. It's a mess. And who knows how things are going to go even when Kyrie comes back. But I can't see it getting any sunnier. So here's Kendrick Perkins' solution as to what the Nets should do, at least involving Kevin Durant. It is unfair at the moment to waste Kevin Durant greatness right now, and he's not on a team that's not competed for a championship. Sean Marks needs to do Kevin Durant a favor and trade him to a team, a title contender, where we could watch him. We could actually watch him in the playoffs and compete for a championship. And I get it. He signed the contract, but he also been the most reliable person in the Nets organization since he stepped foot into that franchise. I I mean, like I get sports has kind of gone wacky over the last several years. And maybe it's like this new generation where you kind of think like this mentality. It's really in life, too. It's not just in sports that like things should be handed to you. Right. Why should Kevin Durant be traded to a team that has a better chance of winning? Didn't Kevin Durant pick Brooklyn? Didn't Kevin Durant pick the Brooklyn Nets? And decided to sign with Kyrie because he, they thought they could win there. Wasn't Kevin Durant the guy who left the dynasty with the Golden State Warriors to go sign with Brooklyn? Left a champion where he was the finals MVP on his own free will to sign with Brooklyn. And now he needs to be traded to a better situation. Wait a sec. Kevin Durant, who doubled down on Brooklyn and signed an extension just a year ago. For another tour of duty. And now he needs to be traded? Oh my gosh. I've heard them all, but you know what? That's a good one. That is a good That'll send you into the weekend on a high. If you need an extra little pep in your step, getting ready for the holiday next week, just play that one on a loop if you want a good chuckle at the dinner table on Turkey Day. Before the Giant game starts, of course. I mean, if you think about how many great players... And Kevin Durant's a great player. We know that. But think about how many great players that we've had in professional sports over the years that never got a chance to win a championship, that were as great in their respective sports as Kevin Durant is is to basketball. I mean, I don't remember anybody saying, you know, the Dolphins should trade Dan Marino away because, you know what, he deserves to win a championship. He's one of the great quarterbacks of all time. How come, how come Barry Sanders never requested a trade from the Lions? The guy was, for my money, growing up, for my money, the best running back I saw. But the guy only won one playoff game in his career and, and literally retired then to continue playing on with the Lions because, you know what, his love for the game, he just couldn't do it anymore because all the losing got to him. But it's not like Barry Sanders said, trade me. He said, no, I'm just, I'm I'm done. I'm done. I, I, I mean, it's just, it's the same old thing. I mean, like, if that type of analysis existed 
in the late 80s, for example, they'd be sitting there saying, trade Michael Jordan from the Chicago Bulls. He's too good. He's too good. He can't beat the Celtics. He can't beat the Pistons. Trade him. He deserves to win a championship. Get rid, get Michael Jordan out of Chicago. He can't do it. He's not good enough. Whew. Yikes. But that'll give you a chuckle, like I said. Harvey's in Florida. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Harvey, good morning. How the heck are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, Harvey. What's going on? I'll tell you, you deserve an award in broadcasting for what you said the last five or six minutes. And I deserve one, too, because you took every word right out of my mouth about about these topics. You are 10,000% correct about that. Wow, 10,000. That's a lot of percent. 10,000, not 1,000. 10,000. Every (laughs) syllable was right on point, Dan. Right on point. I mean, my God. And you gave great examples. Perfect. And so true about that character. Everything you said was true. Yeah, and he is a great player. And yeah, so so was Dan Marino, who never won. All, all your perfect, perfect. I got <laughs> I know you're supposed to critique me, but I have to. I have to critique you. I appreciate you, Harvey. I got you. What's what's going on? Tell me. <laughs> all right, now getting over to uh, uh, RJ to change the subject to you know RJ. Okay, um, I'm not blaming the Knicks for drafting him. The, the ping pong balls didn't fall their way, and I'm sure if they were like number two, they would have taken John Morant. John Morant is 100 times better player than R.J. Barrett. Always was, always will be. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is 100 times better player than R.J. Barrett. Donovan Mitchell, this guy called up, oh, he's on the Cleveland Cavaliers. If R.J. was on that great team, he would do the same thing. R.J. can't create a shot like Donovan Mitchell can. R.J. Barrett is not a dynamic player. R.J. Barrett is not an athletic wonder kind like John Morant. He's not fast. He's limited with his dribbling, with his left hand. He doesn't shoot well. He's erratic. He shoots terribly from three. I mean, I mean, Donovan Mitchell's 100 times better than R.J. Barrett, and that caller is way off. And Jalen Brunson should make life easier for an R.J. Barrett. To have a real point guard, which the Knicks have never had, should make it better for Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett. Julius Randle's playing well. You know, uh, Brunson is an addition to the team, not a subtraction from R.J. Barrett. He's making excuses galore. At Duke, when I watched him play at Duke, I said, my God, if it wasn't for Zion, this guy, you wouldn't even hear about him. I didn't even like him at Duke. And I was hoping the Knicks would get the one or two pick. It didn't work out. Harvey, I'll tell you, let me tell you something, because you brought up the Duke thing, and I thank you for the phone call. You get back to us. I appreciate you. I know a couple of people pretty close to the Duke program, right? Like, close, close. And I remember when that draft was taking place, and obviously you're talking about, you know, two of the big guys in that draft with Zion and, and RJ. And hell, even Cam Reddish, because let's not forget, now, in a weird way, Cam Reddish found his way to the Knicks, and I, I think he's playing pretty well right now. But I remember those people that I trust told me, that the folks in and around that program thought, as far as the next level is concerned, the NBA, that RJ would be a better pro than Zion. That's what they thought. Okay, so, so I'm buying in. All right, fine, cool. Your word, I'll trust you. 
And for a variety of factors, I'm sure probably the durability was a big factor with Zion, and you've already seen it so far early in his career is the guy can't stay on the court, right? But they thought his game would translate really, really well to the next level. But guys, we're in year number four now. You know, when is that leap going to happen? When is the next step going to happen? Last year was his best year. You know, finished with 20 points a game. I think that was a big little milestone for him. But you wanted to see that progression. Just sign the contract extension during the summer. When's the next step going to take place? I think we're all interested to see that. Because right now, if you just want to talk about scoring on this team, when they're right, when things are going well, I think Julius Randle is still the best scorer on this team. And you know what? Guess what? Push comes to shove. Jalen Brunson, probably number two. And then R.J. Barrett. So if the guy's no better than the third best scorer on your team, he's not exactly a lockdown defender, how much longer are we waiting? How much longer is he considered a so-called untouchable for this basketball team? That's what I want to know. So if you've been following along, this week they've been handing out, when I say they, Major League Baseball's been handing out the individual awards from the 2022 season. Yeah, the Rookie of the Year, the Manager of the Year. Last night was the Cy Young Awards. Justin Verlander in the American League. Sandy Alcantara, National League. And they both won in unanimous fashion. First time that's happened, by the way, since 1968. 1968. Last time you had both winners uh, unanimously take home the Cy Young Awards. And tonight, of course, little extra special interest, I'm sure, for Yankee fans. Because barring something completely completely unforeseen. Aaron Judge is going to win the MVP award, as he should. Wonder if it'll be unanimous. A couple of these other awards that have been given out already, aside from the Cy Youngs, um, that I didn't think were going to be unanimous, have been. So I, I would be stunned now if he's not the unanimous MVP in the American League, and rightfully so. You'll probably see Paul uh, Goldschmidt of the Cardinals, at least that's who I'd vote for, win it in the uh, National League side of things here. Okay, so Judge is going to have his night. They're going to interview him over on MLB Network because that's uh, who televises it. So you want to keep tuned in for that. Maybe, you know, they're going to ask him a question or two about what his future holds, the offseason and, and the whole nine yards. Interestingly enough, Ken Rosenthal, the athletic, wrote an article last night and, and dropped this little tidbit of information that apparently the Major League Baseball Players Association has now gotten wind of an article that was written by Andy Martino of SNY a little bit earlier this month, a couple of weeks ago. And they're fearful that the Yankees and the Mets had improper communication involving one Aaron Judge. And what I mean by improper communication is that the Mets apparently, and we've kind of heard these rumors on and off, right? That there is this mutual respect between Steve Cohen and Hal Steinbrenner that neither one of them would ever make a serious run, at least as it was intimated here in this article, that they would never really make a serious bidding offer on that team's marquee free agent. So now you have Aaron Judge who's available. Because of this gentleman's agreement, so to speak, Steve Cohen's not going to go and try to drive up the bidding for the Yankees to retain Aaron Judge, and vice versa. You know, maybe it's like the case with Jacob DeGrom. He's a marquee free agent. Yankees would never drive up the bidding on the services of Jacob DeGrom because Steve Cohen and Hal Steinbrenner respect each other. A couple of things here. First of all, 
This angers the Players Association. And look, we don't even know if it's true or not. It's just been reported. It's a story that's being written. But we truly don't know deep down if there is 100% validity to it. It could have just been, you know, an offhanded comment. It just could have been like something that's been passed along through the grapevine, whatever. But it would anger the Players Association if indeed it's true because the sole purpose of the MLBPA is to ensure that the players get the most money possible, right? So you have a situation involving the Mets and Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen is the richest owner in the sport. Everybody knows that. Why wouldn't you, if you are an organization who is in place to ensure that your players, your members are going to get rich beyond their wildest dreams, why would you not want the richest owner in the sport to be a part of the sweepstakes? So something like that is reported. Yeah, it's going to draw the sirens of the Players Association and Tony Clark and company. Tony Clark's eating his Frosted Flakes for breakfast, and he sees that story come across his little phone or his tablet or whatnot, and he's like, "Uh uh-oh, we got to look into this thing. Because more money is good for the Players Association because it has a trickle-down effect. If the marquee players are getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars, then what are you going to see even the so-called average players? You know, because baseball used to be like that, where the salaries were just insane. And you had utility guys who were making $10 million a year. I'm just throwing a number out there, but like astronomical, right? And you also want to guard against collusion. Because collusion is a no-no. Because even if you subtract one team from free agency sweepstakes and free agency bidding, that potentially is going to hurt the marketplace. So they're looking into this thing. We'll see if it's true at all. But see, here's my thing. The way it's being reported, high-profile free agents. Mets and the Yankees won't engage in a high-profile bidding war is the terminology that was being used here. What constitutes a high-profile player? Seriously. Where's the cutoff? All right, Aaron Judge, he's an MVP. We would agree, that's high profile. Jacob DeGrom, high profile. Great. So those players are off limits for either the Mets or the Yankees. But then what about a guy like Brandon Nimmo, for example? Is Brandon Nimmo considered high profile? Like, are the Yankees, would the Yankees go hard after a guy like Nimmo, or does that violate the so-called handshake agreement between Steve Cohen and Hal Steinbrenner? Where's the cutoff? Does somebody have to have like a minimum number of wins above replacement, like their their war number for the year to where he's considered high profile or not? Does he have to come off making X amount of millions of dollars before he's considered high profile? Does he have to have an all-star appearance on his resume? Like, I don't get that. That's why this whole thing is a bunch of gobbledygook to me. So we'll see what the Players Association finds. We'll see if Major League Baseball gets involved. But either way... I don't think I ever really thought considerably that the Mets would make a run at Aaron Judge. I just didn't. I still think he's going back to the Yankees. And I never thought that the Mets would be seriously vying for the sweepstakes of bringing over number 99 to Queens. I I, I just don't. I think they have other things they need to fill. Like, oh, by the way, about like, what, eight pitchers? When you talk about the rotation in the bullpen, they got a lot of arms they got to bring in. A lot of arms. Nevertheless, Aaron Judge is going to win the MVP award tonight, rightfully so, and that'll be on the MLB Network, I think, starting at 6 o'clock, so you can check that out here. 
Hey, big football game on Sunday up in Foxborough between the Jets and the Patriots. Not too much at stake. You know, when you consider if the Jets win, they'll be in first place in week 11 of the NFL. Nah, not, not, nothing major. You know, it's just, you know. When was the last time the Jets were 7-3 and three after 10 games? <laughs> you know, not too much. You also stop a 13-game losing streak to the New England Patriots. But it's funny how, like, the opposite ends of the spectrum that are in play for this game. Because if the Jets don't win, not only do they get swept by the New England Patriots, so they would lose a tiebreaker, which would hurt. Not only do they lose 14 in a row against the New England Patriots, which admittedly would sting. They also would be in last place in the AFC East. Think about that. You could go from first to last. And I know that these teams are all bunched together. The AFC East is arguably the best division in the NFL. So, yeah, it's a big game. And I think if you go back and you watch that first one on October the 30th, it wasn't all that long ago, right? Just a few weeks. Jets were the better team that day. They were the better team. Line of scrimmage, mano a mano, Jets controlled the line of scrimmage in that game. You know what they didn't control, though? They didn't control the mistakes because there were a few of them that proved to be costly. First with the roughing the passer penalty on John Franklin Myers at the end of the first half. Right? Pat's driving. JFM hits Mac Jones. I still think bang, bang play. But Mac Jones threw the ball right to Michael Carter. Michael Carter took it the distance, took it to the house. No penalty on that play. It's 17-3 Jets going into the locker room. And I don't know if the Jets blow them out, like a couple of guys on the team have asserted, but I'm pretty confident that the Jets would have found a way to win that game because New England wasn't really doing anything. 17-3, game was over. And then, of course, that didn't happen because of the penalty. Pat's got a field goal out of it. Then it was 10-6 going into the break and whether there was any sort of carryover effect and there was a hangover going into halftime and then on into the second half who knows I mean I've asked a lot of guys on the team they say no but I don't know I mean from, from a human element I, I, I would think there'd have to be I know it was a hangover for if you were a fan so if you have to go out there and play you might have been feeling some of that too because the Patriots went right down the field to begin the second half and put it in the end zone got away with a Offensive pass interference penalty. I forgot who the wide receiver was, but blocking down on Sauce Gardner, which led to that Myers touchdown as well. But whatever. That one drive is really all the Patriots put together the entire afternoon. And then in the second half, you had Zach Wilson throw not one, but two just horrible interceptions. Horrible. And it had nothing to do with Bill Belichick outfoxing the young quarterback and confusing the heck out of them and making think that he was seeing a different coverage or a different read on the play. No, it was just an awful decision. Instead of throwing the ball out of bounds and into the third row, he threw it to a Patriot. And you hope that he learns from that. You hope that that was like the final straw for a young quarterback in terms of knowing what you can and cannot do if you're playing that position. Jets play a clean game. They don't commit the mistakes. I think they win this game on Sunday. They're a better football team than the New England Patriots are. Now, I don't know if Corey Davis is going to play. Doesn't sound all that optimistic. We'll see if he practices this afternoon. He didn't practice yesterday. Um, David Andrews, the Patriots starting center, he's back. He didn't play in that first game. 
So maybe that's a little bit of an issue that the guys up front on the Jet D line have to deal with. But you know what? That D line, they've been holding their own pretty damn well against almost anybody all season long. And the way that Robert Sala and Jeff Ulbrich, they rotate a bunch of those guys in and out of the lineup, keeping them fresh. They're 10 deep. And they're going to find ways to contribute and to do their thing and to try to control the game on the line of scrimmage. I think the Jets find a way to win the game. And it's a game, you know what? Look, not to say that if they lose, they can't make the playoffs and they can't still have a successful season. But you want to like prove you can beat the Patriots, right? You want to prove that you find a way to finally beat this team. Like Brady's gone. This ain't the same Patriots team. On paper, they're not as good as the Jets. You look at the head coach. All right, the head coach is there. He's great, but like he ain't a wizard. You still got to have players at the end of the day. They win games. They win or lose games. And I think it's about time after 13 straight matchups that the Jets find a way to walk off that field better than the Patriots. And I think it happens on Sunday. You know, you saw how dynamic James Robinson, Michael Carter were running the football in that Buffalo game right before the bye week. James Robinson, remember, that was the Patriots game the first time around. That was James Robinson's first go-round with the Jets, and he was only here for like a couple of days, and he played a real small role in that first matchup. Now that he's been here for a few weeks, maybe you see more of a role for James Robinson in this offense, like you saw against Buffalo. Maybe that also kind of tips the scales in the Jets' favor. Also, what's going to happen with Elijah Moore? Are we going to actually have an Elijah Moore sighting in this game? You know, they've been working him into the slot. Maybe there's some targets. Maybe there's some opportunities because I think other guys in the passing game are going to have to show up on Sunday. And the reason I say that is because Garrett Wilson had a big game against the Patriots last time out, right? Garrett Wilson had a big game. Bill Belichick is probably going to school and making sure that Garrett Wilson doesn't beat the Patriots again and doesn't try to wreak havoc on that football game. So if they try to take him out of it, one of these other guys has to step up, whether it's Denzel Mims, whether it's Elijah Moore, Berrios, whether it's the backs, the tight ends, you name it. And that then goes back to the quarterback, that you have to be patient. You have to let your reads take shape. Don't try to force the ball into one target in particular if the look is not there. And that'll be interesting to see coming up here on Sunday afternoon. But I think the Jets find a way to get it done. They're a better football team. Really are. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Giants, on the other hand, look. They're better than the Lions. You know, they should win this game. Lions run defense is abominable. Houston's was really bad last week. You saw what the Giants did to it. They should put the same exact game plan into trying to beat the Lions. I know that they're tricky on offense. I know they can move the football. They've got some dangerous players on that side. But on defense, this should be tailor-made for the Giants. And don't get caught looking ahead. We all know that the bigger game in the grand scheme of the Giants season is coming up on Thursday, a week from today, down in Dallas against the Pokes. You don't want to get swept by, Cal- uh, by the Cowboys. Remember, because they beat you in your building already earlier this year. Don't get caught looking ahead. You know that that is the message that Brian Dayball has been preaching all week long. Worry about the Lions. Okay, they did a good job of that last week, getting past Houston. 
And I kind of almost accept this, expect a similar type of game against Detroit because the Giants, they don't know how to blow teams out. They don't know how to win convincingly. Right? Not to say that that's a fault of theirs. That's just how they do things. They win one-score games. They play tight games. They're not a great team getting out of the box in the first half. They're kind of one of these teams that's a little bit better after halftime. So be it. It's effective. It wins them games. And that's the name of the game. So I don't expect this to be a blowout. But I expect the Giants to take care of their business at home. Get to 8-2. and two, and then set up a matchup down in Dallas, which, let's face it, that is a big test for them. A really, really big test. And based upon what we saw just this past Sunday out of the Dallas Cowboys, where they went to Lambeau Field and watched the Packers and Aaron Jones and company literally run up and down the field on them, that's got to give me hope and confidence as a Giant fan. Because that defense got exposed That you can churn out yards on the ground. You can control the clock. And more importantly, you can keep Dak Prescott in that offense on the sidelines. You do that, you give yourself a good chance to win. Giants aren't going to be able to fool people. Giants aren't as talented as some of these other teams that are in playoff contention right now just on a 1-53 to basis with the personnel. They're not. You know, there's only so many different ways they can beat you. They have to do what they do well better than the other team does what they do well, right? And for the Giants, it's no secret. It's called running the football, limiting mistakes, and playing good defense. That's how they win games. Not all that different than what the Jets employ and how the Jets try to beat you. But the Jets have a little bit more talent on paper. Giants have to also just limit mistakes, And not give teams possessions. Give teams free yards. And Brian Dayball's done a fantastic job so far through nine games. And you hope that keeps going for a few more. 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. Bobby in New Jersey. He's up next here on 98.7. Bobby, how you doing? Hey, how's it going, man? Just wanted to know uh, who you think left longer in New York. uh, R.J. Baird or, uh, or do you think Zach Wilson? Who lasts longer in New York, R.J. Barrett or Zach Wilson? It's a good question. Um, obviously, look, R.J. Barrett already has a leg up because he's got that second contract already. You know, and, and look, it's not to say that he can't be traded eventually to get a marquee player in here. If you're Zach Wilson, I, I still think the jury is out, to be fair. Right? I mean, he's only in his second year. I don't think that the Jets right now, I mean, they can have hope. They can have faith that he is ultimately going to be the guy that they thought they were getting with the second overall pick. But I don't know if that's a certainty. I mean, right now, if you're asking me who's going to last longer, um, kind of got a feeling it's almost about the same. I know that that's kind of like an on the fence answer, but I I, I kind of see it playing out similarly. Because for whatever reason, man, they love R.J. Barrett. They love them some R.J. Barrett. And I think what the Knicks hope deep down is that they could still find a way to get that superstar franchise type player in here and still have R.J. Barrett be a piece of that. That's what I think. Richard in Manhattan is up next. Hi, Richard. How are you? Hi, Dan. Dan, R.J. Barrett reminds me of Bill Bradley. When Bill Bradley came to the Knicks... He lost a lot. 
because he went to England. He was never the same player as he was in college. Are you telling me that R.J. Barrett is going to run for public office when his career well, is over, know. Richard? But what happened was, Dan, the Knicks got Dave DeBusher, a superstar. Yep. So Bradley moved from the shooting guard to the small forward position, and he became a fifth cog on the Knicks' offensive scheme and defensive scheme, and we remember him fondly. But Bradley was almost a bust until the Knicks got a superstar. Same thing with R.J. Barrett. He needs a superstar on the team that he can show what he can do. He'll never be the kind of player to lead a team. Never. Never. He's not that kind of player. But that doesn't mean he can't be a productive player. That's why they have to get out, go out and get a superstar with, uh, with R.J. And he'll, he'll show how good he is. But he won't do it by himself because he reminds me of Bill Bradley too much. Always a pleasure, Dan. Thank you. Richard, I appreciate you. Appreciate you a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, that. look, that's what we've been saying. He's a good player. Not a great player yet. And I don't know if he becomes the great player. But he can still be really, really good. I mean, hell, Bill Bradley's in the Hall of Fame. I know it was a different era of basketball and whatnot, but he's in the Hall of Fame. You know? And here's the thing. I think some folks tried to maybe get a little too ahead of themselves over the summer because when the Knicks went out and got the big free agent in Jalen Brunson, they thought that was the big player. Well, Jalen Brunson's not even a number one on a championship team. Jalen Brunson is a, a, a good player, just like R.J. Barrett's a good player. That's what the Knicks are. They've got three good players as the so-called faces of the team with Randall, Brunson, and Barrett. Still need to get the great one. Alex, California, next, 98.7 ESPN. Alex, what's going on? I'm just happy about my Jets and, and where we're at, but I'm more of a realistic fan here, and, and, and I like to kind of see all the situations as far as I just don't want them to win all the way. I need to be prepared to be let down because, unfortunately, that's what you know my Jets fandom has always done is let me down. So my question to you is, Let's say we lose on Sunday. What does the wild card picture play out as far as us getting into the playoffs? I mean, one look, I, I mean, I know that this sounds like a stupid, cliched answer, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, Alex, if you'll bear with me. If they lose Sunday and they fall to six and four, there's still seven games left. They could finish 13. Uh, they could finish. Um, yeah, 13 and four. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all the options are still on the table, even if they lose Sunday. It's not like they're eliminated. The way I see the AFC going into week 11, I figure there's about nine teams vying for the seven playoff spots in the conference. I'm still not putting Indianapolis in there, despite the fact that they won last week. I'm not putting them in there. You're looking at the four teams in the East, Baltimore and Cincinnati, that's six. Somebody's going to win the South, which is probably going to be Tennessee, that's seven. And then Kansas City and the Chargers out in the AFC West. So that's nine teams for seven spots. I don't think... All four in the AFC East are going to the playoffs. It's it's virtually impossible because they all still got to play each other and they're going to knock each other out. You want to say the three teams make it from the East? I could see that. The team you have to root against, though, from a wild card standpoint, if you just want to look at it bare bones from the Jets, the rest of the way, start rooting against Cincinnati. Because you don't have a you don't have a tiebreaker with Cincinnati. Remember, week three, the Bengals came up here and beat the Jets. That was still a different Jets team. Flacco was still the quarterback. All right. So from here on out, that's your homework assignment. The two teams that you root for on Sundays, you root for the Jets, and you root for every team that the Bengals are playing. 
Except if they're playing somebody from the AFC East. And you root against all, you root against all the teams in your division, too. Cincinnati's in Pittsburgh this week. Bengals should win that game. Pittsburgh ain't any good. Then Cincinnati goes to Tennessee. Tennessee could win that game. Then Cincinnati's got Kansas City at home. They beat Kansas City at home last year. They got Cleveland at home. They owe Cleveland from the Monday night game a few weeks back where the Browns beat them up pretty good. Then Cincinnati. Cincinnati has a hard close to the schedule. At Tampa. At New England. Home Buffalo. Home Baltimore. Tough. One of those two teams, Cincinnati or Baltimore, is going to win the AFC North. Because remember, the Jets don't have a tiebreaker with Baltimore either. They lost to Baltimore and Cincinnati in that first month of the season. Who knows? Maybe that last game, the Ravens and the Bengals, that could be for the AFC North title. Which you hope that even the loser, who ends up being a wild card candidate, is not tied with the Jets because the Jets lose the, the tiebreaker. We'll see what happens. Just keep stacking victories. Like I said earlier, they don't go bad. And this is a big one on Sunday. And I still think, just like I felt about the one at MetLife Stadium a few weeks ago, that is a very, very gettable game for the Jets. And a playoff caliber team should win this game on Sunday. Let's see if they could get it done.